and welcome to the Fireside Podcast. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fireside Podcast, where our mission is to better engage culture, to equip the church, and to glorify God. I'm Houston. I'm Clayton. And I'm Jeremiah. All right. Well, today we are here. You know, I always open up the podcast with, we're here today to talk to you about Obviously, we're always here, and <laughs> sometimes so, we're we're sometimes present. Present, yeah, physically yeah. present, physically um, present for sure. Today, we want to talk about worship. So, Jeremiah, why don't you just why don't we just jump right in and you give us a succinct? Um, I'm thinking ninety second definition of worship in all of its entirety. Go. Of course, pick on the worship minister. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's your job. It's, I know it is literally kind your of, job. It's kind of my job. Let's just say it's, it's kind your of. calling. Well, it's like <laughs> your job. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's good to be reassured of that. Thank you. So worship. Well, let's uh, let's just say one thing right off the bat: that worship is not just music. Music is an aspect of worship, but it is not conclusively worship. I think that's. I could probably just say that and be fine. Yeah, Jeremiah, that reminds me of what Paul says about our spiritual act of worship. And uh, for those of you listening at home, you don't know this, but we have taken about four or five tries for me to quote that properly, and I've not done a good job. So, Jeremiah, we're just going to ask you to to help us out with that quote. Yeah, so Romans 12, 1 and 2 uh, says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's that's that whole section there. Um, but when it says spiritual act of worship, it's actually better translated as reasonable service, which is actually what the King James Version says. Um, so it's our reasonable service towards God, that we present ourselves to him in that way. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that we shouldn't view this passage as an example of what worship is? No, I think that's, that's what I'm saying is that worship is our reasonable service towards God. It's a re, it's a, it's a reverence. Uh, it's, it's a deep respect, a reverence for our creator. Yeah. That's good. So we had a lot of discussion before we started recording about what we were going to talk about today. We knew since last week that we would be talking about worship, but we had uh, kind of disagreements, what we say, about what the implications would be for this episode specifically, like what we, what direction we wanted to run with this. Yeah, because we all recognize it, that worship is something greater than just simply song, but when I suggested it, we should do worship. I mean, I, I was thinking songs. Right. <laughs> and of course, I'm not opposed to that because that's that's what I do in the church each Sunday is I lead lead the music for the congregation. And so I'm perfectly okay with the the direction of this episode being songs in the church. 
and conveying the story behind those songs. Yeah, Jeremiah, I'm reminded of a quote by Andrew Fletcher who said, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes the laws. And really the idea behind this this quote is that the songs that we sing when we come together either identify or I would probably argue shape our culture and our community. Very much so, because what we worship, we become. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, can you go dive a little deeper on that? <laughs> yeah, so actually, this is pretty fresh in my mind because uh, the the sermon series that we're in at church right now is uh, called Overload, and we're talking about making margin for God in your life. And uh, I made this graphic that actually is a... Uh, it's a cross. It's a depiction of the cross. It has all these things um, embedded in the cross, all these words that describe things that consume our, our, our lives that don't allow margin for God. Um, these things include Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, pretty much all social media. I think I had on there, uh, you know, pornography is a big one. Um, you know, just, just sin in general. I mean, there's, you know, feelings of despair, like just all these things that we get so caught up on and we just forget that there's a God that's greater than us that that we need to be paying attention more to more than anything else in our lives. And so if we worship these things that are consuming our time, we will thus become what what the world wants us to become. Because these are things that are that are consumed in the world that are that are taking us away from being consumed in the kingdom, being consumed in the ways of, of Christ being consumed in the way that we talked about at the end of this episode, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how does that relate to the songs that we sing in church? I mean, like, I think the average person coming into this, you know, we touched on the idea that worship is more than just singing songs, but, you know, the average person coming into this is going to say, is going to hear when we say worship, they're going to, they're going to hear, you know, saying good, good father on Sundays. So, like, how, how does what you're saying relate to the, the songs that we're singing when we come together? You guys are just making me say everything today. Oh, yeah, bro. Yeah, this right. is our first interview episode. You should know that. <laughs> <laughs> Little did you know. Little mm. did you know. So, the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, most of them are taking ideas that are within our culture, just overarching culture, um, ideas of, you know, like you, like you suggested a good, good father as a song. Well, um, I mean, the beginning verses of that are, um, you know, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I know the tender whisper of love in the dead of nights. Um, you know, just talking about how like, yeah, we know what people say about you, but this is who you are and this is what we know about you. And so like, we're going to proclaim that. <laughs> we're going to proclaim that together. Like we, we don't, we're, we're countercultural. We're countercultural to the ideas of this world. We want people to recognize and know that you are a good, good father and we are loved by you, which is completely, like I'm saying, countercultural to anything that this world is going to offer. Gives us a lot of hope. The audience should know that after what Jeremiah just said there, we've been struggling with what to come up with to say next. And that I think that speaks to something that I listen to about what worship does. Because what you said just then was such, it was really good, you know? And what, what one person that I was listening to, I can't remember their name this week, was that worship doesn't necessarily just lead to an applause. It just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't lead to some super celebration, but, but more of a residing in the silence and reflecting on just what we just encountered was a God that's so much bigger than us that we can't, we can't even do anything in response. We just sit and take him in. Right, which exactly 
our points is that worship is not just music, even just being in complete silence and sitting and basking in the love of God, you know, just anticipating his presence by not moving and being silent. Yeah, uh, Clayton, I, I think the person you're talking about who said that was, is it Jennifer Donaldson? Sounds right. Um, and I remember hearing her say that too, and it was really, it was challenging for me because, you know, sometimes I think it was challenging me to me because it was challenging to me because that's really a countercultural statement. Like you were saying, Jeremiah, this idea that after this moment of intense music that was so effective in, in drawing us in, we are called to not, you know, applaud the, the musician or, or anything like that. Like we're called to silent reflection um, and, and really, I, I think that's, we're, we're called to give honor where honors do, right? And in this situation, it's to the Lord. And so this moment of, of silent honor to the Lord is, is, I like what you said, definitely worship. And so I don't believe I explained how a song like Good, Good Father is countercultural, uh, just, you know, the idea of a good, good father is not something that resonates with a lot of people. Um, and I feel, I think we've talked about this on a previous episode, even that, you know, like my, I, myself, I just don't have a, a great relationship with my father. And so when I hear the words, you know, good, good father, um, that's not necessarily something I attribute to, um, you know, the world <laughs> to worldly, worldly standards. Um, but knowing that I do have a good, good father in heaven, it just brings me so much peace and, um, it just creates an avenue for me to worship because it's, it's not what I'm used to. It's not, it's something that I can appreciate more because it's not something I had. So if I can butt in, it seems like what you're saying is that sometimes musical worship is worship because it illuminates truths that we might not otherwise be paying attention to. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's completely fair to say. And so I, I mean, touching back on this Chris Tomlin song, what a, what a powerful song for our culture and specifically our generation to hear that we've got, you know, a good father in heaven Technically, it's not Chris Tomlin. Oh, who is it? It's 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 originally by House Fires. Is it really? I didn't yeah, know that. But then Chris Tomlin picked it up. My my apologies, House right. Fires. We got to give honor where honor is due. <laughs> um, so you know this this is an important song for our culture right now because it speaks to the nature of God in contrast to our culture. And I think that's a cool segue into the, something that, that is really Im, important for me in worship. And uh, I'm by no means a worship leader. Musically declined. Uh, um, but I, I pick out songs for my church worship. And, and we just kind of sing along to music. We're a real small church. And, and thankfully that works for us. But I, when I pick out songs, one of my highest criteria besides quality is theology. And I want to make sure that the songs that we sing on Sunday have good theology behind them. So this past Sunday, we sang the song, Though You Slay Me by Shane and Shane. And I had a very specific uh, pair of people in mind when I picked the song. And that's, that's what I try to do is kind of think, We've got a really big range, you know, my wife and I are in our young, our lower twenties and, you know, we've got our pastors in his forties and we've got a couple that are, you know, in their seventies. And so we've got such a wide range that I always try to, I try to, to do something that's going to click with everybody is really the idea. But anyways, I, we have these, these two guys in our church right now who are, are really dealing with 
some some serious suffering coming their way. And that's what they, at least they think that serious suffering is coming their way. They're waiting on some test results and that kind of thing. And one of them said to the church last Sunday, when we were just kind of spending time in prayer, he said, I think that this suffering I'm going to go through is punishment for my life before I became a believer, you know, some 30 years ago or whatever. And, you know, not, not even to touch on that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I, I, what I heard was from him, I'm going to be suffering because God is punishing me. And so when I hear this song, though you slay me by Shane and Shane, the first thing I think is that regardless of your theology about suffering, um, that, that the singer is crying out to God because he feels betrayed and destroyed by our father. And he says, and still I'll worship you. And to me, that's, I mean, that is a, a constant flow and undercurrent in all the Psalms is although I am suffering and I'm crying out to you, why I'm still going to worship you, Lord. And so, you know, this, I, I remember listening to the song and just thinking how powerful this is just this, the sentiment that. We're going to worship despite our own sufferings because he's still worthy. Which is exactly what Revelation 4 and 5 is speaking into and what our, our sermon in chapel this week was about was, you know, even in our suffering, uh, you know, we, we can worship God. And it's not, not something that we, we have to just, you know, make them separate entities in our lives. Mm-hmm. No, we carry our suffering with us through the process. Yeah. Um, oh, I know, right, that... That chapel service, I was the whole time I was just thinking, oh my gosh, this is what we're talking about this week in our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, Spirit's working. But um, yeah, just identifying with our suffering and how even in the midst of it, we worship the Creator. And I think it's interesting that you say the Creator there specifically because that verse or that, that line, though you slay me, actually comes from Job. And it is one of his last like two or three monologues before God steps in and starts talking. And and I remember, I, I because I loved the song, and I knew the people in my church were having a hard time with it, I went and looked up, you know, what the history of the song, or the, the origin of the song was, and it's, it's passage in Job. And, and I understand that we have to be careful when we take passages from Job, because there's you know, his three friends just lie to him the whole time. But this is Job speaking. And he says this line, though you slay me, still I will worship you. And eventually God, you know, he does his whole diatribe on, you know, I am the creator and I deserve worship regardless of how you feel or your experiences. I still deserve worship. But he eventually commends Job because he didn't succumb to the, the lies of his friends, although he, you know, was suffering and, and crying out. And he he re-elevates Job for his faithfulness. And so that's that you know that that song that song makes me think about this idea that you're saying, Clayton, that in the midst of suffering, we still worship our great Creator. Yeah, what you were saying there really hits home for me. Um, as you know, for Revelation class, I'm actually writing a paper over the the very last chapter of Revelation, you know, the end of the book. Um, and I think I talked about this on last week's episode a little bit too. But uh, I've I've got more of a framework for what I'm what I'm wanting to talk about and how obedience um, actually in, ensures our restoration. But I think we could even change that a little bit and say that worship is what ensures our restoration. Because when we are when we are being restored into the image we are created, or even restored into the new Eden, it is through our our worship, the way that we revere God and we have deep respect for Him, and that is the emphasis of worship. Is for for us to revere God and to be faithfully obedient to Him, uh, in our reverence for Him. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about just kind of worship in general here, and and you know we've said kind of our piece on on some different components of worship and some different components of song worship but Clayton when you suggested this theme it seemed like you had a clear 
idea of how we were going to connect this subject of worship to to story and and our stories. Do you want to touch on that? I think what the primary reason why I was wanting to do uh, songs with worship was because of how uh, connected story and songs go together and that through these songs that we sing we are retelling something about our history or something about who we want to become Uh, even well no just yeah just those two things our history and who we want to become yeah so a song that comes to mind when you say our history i'm thinking of uh the song this i believe i believe in god our father Mm -hmm. in christ's son uh it's it's from the Nicene Creed. Like that's where that song mm-hmm. comes from. And so it's this, it's almost this teaching moment that we can have with the church. It's like, you know, these are traditional practices, uh, you know, saying creedal statements together. Like these, you, this is what we believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned history. Um, I mean, this is what the church has always done in worship is, is proclaim what they believe. And that's what songs do in the church. preparing for this this episode um one of the things that i kind of landed on is that you know we all agree there are multiple types of worship and and aspects to worship but some of the things that we want to talk about we're singing you know songs of course but another thing that i thought would be really cool to touch on is liturgy in general and this is something that i'm i've been really pursuing for the past you know couple couple months is is an idea of liturgy especially being someone who has some say over what our church services are looking like, I'm starting to realize more and more the value of a structure that people can buy into. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and really before just we do anything else, I, I don't feel qualified at all to talk about liturgy because the more I pursue it, the more it becomes ethereal to me. Like I, I can't put a peg on what it is. Do you, like, can you give us a, a word on, on even what liturgy means? So I would describe liturgy as traditional practices or a form or forms in which we worship. Um, and so it goes back to, you know, what, what I was just mentioning with this, I believe, you know, implementing these creedal statements within our worship services um, implementing prayer time, uh, where we, we can pray together as a community, Mm. um, implementing times of silence, like we talked about earlier as well. Uh, also, uh, implementing communal reading of scripture together, you know, just being able to read the word of God out loud together is, is very much worshipful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's really my take on, on liturgy or just liturgical practices in general. I mean, there mm-hmm. are things that are um, that are just have been traditionally practiced throughout the history of the church, and um, I think that's that's what Robert E. Weber uh, was getting at with his whole ancient future idea of worship, where we are essentially combining, you know, the old with the new, and uh, 
I mean, he's got he's got plenty of books. He's got his book Ancient Future Worship, and then he's got uh, Worship Old and New. I mean, he's he's got even a, a college dedicated to to him and his his ideas um, about worship out in Florida, which is the Robert E. Weber Institute of Worship. Um, just a phenomenal voice. I mean, he's passed away now, but just a phenomenal voice in the realm of worship and what it what it truly is, and really bringing it back to its roots, but also you know, in a way, bringing it into our culture today of worship and and how we should merge the two. Uh, yeah, so uh, along this idea of liturgy as something that we, what would you say? What, what was the first thing you said like that? Traditional practices. Traditional practices. A form or forms of, yeah. of practices. So, so why, why do some of these churches do liturgy versus, you know, not and i think a lot of what the reason for that is because it gives them something that is not is literally beyond them they did not come up with this but they are given the words um that help guide them to something that they may not be able to uh appreciate or even come up with on their own like it's a statement about how i don't know how to pray or I don't even know how to come up with the words to say. Mm-hmm. And the liturgy provides that for you and helps you guide your direction towards God. And man, I just, that's what's, that's one of the aspects that I love about Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy is that they recognize the fact that when you come to the mass or church, and on Sunday morning or whenever, um, that you are now participating between this merger of heaven and earth, and you are at the throne of God, mm-hmm. sitting there with the saints, worshiping. And, man, if we don't come with that in mind sometimes, we are missing out on something yeah, it ceases to be worship. Uh, like there's a quote that I was mentioning before that you know of Warren Wearsby, that when worship becomes pragmatic, it ceases to be worship. When it, Tell us what you mean by pragmatic. When it when it becomes you know practical, when it becomes a show, mm. you know, like when we're when it becomes buffet style church, you know, like when we're when we're just coming to to eat eat some junk food to to get us hyped up for the week and then go back out into the world, you know, like mm. and call it your Mountain Dew and Doritos diet. <laughs> mm. Uh, it's, it's more than that. So Clayton, you were talking about how in maybe our church traditions today, we do not pay a lot of honor to the idea of borrowing someone else's way of doing church, essentially that we don't in, in, in evangelical churches today, we have a a bad habit maybe of not relying on tradition or or church history or even other people to help us help us worship, right? Um, so something that I think about is is in a lot of the churches that I've been to, if we were to implement, actually you said this, Jeremiah, if we were to implement uh, communal scripture reading where everybody stands up read scripture, um, and then sits back down, people, their first response is, oh, that's a Catholic thing. We don't do that. And so I, I think when we do that, we, we have a bad habit of, you know, I always say this, throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater, right? So we can acknowledge that what Jeremiah is saying is 100% right, that when worship becomes pragmatic, when it becomes a show, when it becomes a set of motions when it becomes, you know, just, just a thing that we just go through, then it, it's not worship, it has no value. But we can also acknowledge what you're saying, Clayton, that when we engage with the, the works of other people, their songs, their prayers, even um, their liturgical practices, we have an opportunity to, to really engage in something bigger than us. And so how do we, 
how do we keep those two things in tension? How do we, how do we not fall into the pitfalls of, well, this is what we do because this is what we do. And at the same time, we don't fall into the pitfalls of spontaneity is synonymous with spirit filled. Does that make sense when I say? And so what I mean by that is we kind of get to this point where if every part of our service is not spontaneous, it's not filled with the spirit. We kind of assume that the spirit only moves on Sunday mornings, right? Instead of all week when we're preparing for service. So how do we, how do we kind of keep these things in tension? Because I think that's, that's our challenge as leaders in the church and as believers that we, we are to keep these things in tension. We have to recognize that other people can bring value to the table. And not just that, that there are people who lived before us who were incredibly brilliant and brought a lot of value to the table. And then, you know, we have to always be careful that we don't just do things to do them. You know, this is, this is real. This is an important experience. So, I mean, do you guys have any, any tips? And I mean, Jeremiah, you're doing this in your church right now. Do you have anything that you're seeing is valuable for, for keeping these two things in tension? Yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing is, uh, redefining what worship is to the congregation and having intentional moments within your service to teach your congregation what worship really is and that it's not just the music. Um, even though that's what we're talking about today or <laughs> supposed to be talking about. Um, and so the ways that I've been doing this recently within our church is um, presenting a worship emphasis for each week where in between we, we usually have a, a pretty set structure of the, how things are going. And so we usually uh, after our, our welcome period, we have two songs before we go into the sermon. And in between those two songs, I, I will stop and have us, uh, do something like a, a, an extended prayer time or communal reading of scripture and just lead into that with, you know, these are things that have traditionally been done and that are valuable and that we should, um, we should recognize these things as worshipful moments as well. Um, not that song is not worship because that's not what we're saying, but I think we've synonymized worship with song in the church. And I think it's very important to just pull away from that um, as much as possible. Because when we do that too, um, it puts it, it identifies the, the worship leader as the only person worshiping on a Sunday morning, if that makes sense. As in, you know, his identity is already made up. He's, he's no more than the guy that leads songs uh, because worship is synonymous with, with music, with song. Um, and so even, even a, you know, what, what I've seen um, as the new title for that is creative arts pastor or creative arts minister because it, it takes you away from being classified as just the music guy in your church. Um, and and we need to realize that, you know, even even the worship minister has a lot of value to bring to the table aside from just leading songs on a Sunday morning. He's there to to be a minister like anybody else in the church. And so that's just um, for me personally, that's that that's the biggest reason why I've attempted to implement these things in our services and to redefine the meaning of worship. So, if I, I mean, I, if I can just jump in and try to summarize, you're saying that um, being intentional about telling people why we're doing this stuff is is how you're bridging the gap between touching on on old valuable subjects and still keeping it um spirit filled correct so jeremiah and clayton definitely clayton too because i know you've got opinions on this how much of a role does the quality of worship play in the worship setting and so what I mean by that is the quality of songs, singing, music, that kind of thing. How much of a role in worship does that play? So to begin with, what what makes uh, worship worship? <laughs> uh, begins with, it has to be set apart. Meaning, whatever is done has to be holy, in a sense. 
and that it is not something normal, but it's not something that is completely abstract. It's concrete, but it is something, you know, set apart. Mm-hmm. And that can be challenging. I recognize that. But, um, and we do, and we, and the reason why it has to be so holy is because it, it's, we're giving this to God and he is holy. Mm. Now, and then the second part, that was the first one, I guess. Um, I think it needs to be, it needs to be edifying to the church. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, this is what you're talking about, about how it teaches us, teaches the church who, who she is. And, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's the church teaching herself, <laughs> I guess. But it has yeah. to be edifying to the church. Um, go ahead, Jeremiah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly correct. Uh, I, I believe it's, I think it's in Bonhoeffer's life together. He actually touches on this a little bit, um, where he he talks about corporate worship and its purpose is to glorify God first and foremost, but to edify the church. I mean, these are the these are the two things that we're supposed to keep in mind when we are, quote unquote, planning our worship services. That everything needs to first and foremost glorify God, uh, but we need to have something within our service that's edifying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Otherwise, there's no value to what we're doing. There's no value to the kingdom. Well, I, I'm using this word. What What does that mean? What does that mean, Jeremiah? Teachable, teaching. Yes. Yeah, like... Edifying? Edifying, yeah. yeah, yeah. U- useful for growing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, one thing that Jennifer Donaldson said that really stuck out to me was that if we can acknowledge that something is good and edifying, and holy, um, and of quality. So if, if we can recognize all of these things, then we should acknowledge it as beautiful, um, just as a response to our, our human nature, right? So that, again, the idea is that if we know something has good theology, and is glorifying to God, and is edifying to the church, and is done well, you know, if, if it's got all of these components, we should recognize it as beautiful. And either we do that because it, it responds to our imago Dei, that our, 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 our image of God inside of ourselves, or we have to teach ourselves to appreciate the beauty of it. I really enjoyed what she said there because I think something that sticks out to me, um, again, you know, picking songs for a congregation that's very spread out is that the hymns are such a powerful tool for us to use in the church because so many people get to connect instantly to it. You know, we don't, we don't have to go through a process of buy-in in the songs. Um, so when, when we start to sing the hymn, you know, Jesus paid it all people, people have spent their whole lives singing along to these hymns and they have, whether initially or over time, come to appreciate the beauty of these. And so that's just a really, really cool thing to me is this idea that sometimes we have to teach ourselves what's good, you know, and that, that seems crazy in our, our consumer world. And well, if it doesn't fit you, it doesn't fit you. But that's not that's not how worship works, especially as a community. We have to acknowledge that everybody's going to have differences in opinions and tastes and preferences, but. But your your preferences and tastes and opinions don't determine what's good or, or good for your congregation or, or good for you even, right? We have there's so much value in learning to appreciate beauty in worship. And again, I mean those those four points. There's so much value in learning to appreciate that as opposed to instantly recognizing it. Yeah, so why why is it that these songs have value? over time or why why is it that when we we sing a song like Jesus paid it all you know a song that's been sung for for a lot of people their whole lives in church mm-hmm. it's because that there are countless stories connected to that song in their lives as mm-hmm. they grew up in the church so many situations that that song has led them through and 
that's that's essentially what we're doing. When we choose songs on a Sunday morning, we're creating a hymnal for our church. What you spoke about just then, Houston, really reminds me of just how I, uh, when I first became a Christian and going to church and just, J- JJ can t- attest to this, just how much I hated worship. This is <laughs> this is very true. Really? Yeah. I hated singing. Hated singing. Hated, di- why do we got to do this? Why is- this is just ridiculous. Yeah, can't we just shut up and hear the sermon, right? Yeah, I just can't. Yeah. yeah. And boy, you know, my community can probably just you know, remember reflect upon just how how much how much that <laughs> how much that was true of me. But now like I think about how how I go to church and well sometimes sure I don't want to sing. Mm-hmm. Um but how much more I appreciate worship now. Mm. And how I had, I didn't teach myself how more important it was, but it really was my, my community who taught me because I saw in them, uh, no, this is important Mm. and this is how we, how we go about doing this. Yeah. It's that humility when we approach this, uh, and really everything in the Christian walk, but it's, it's our humility and how we approach that. If someone else is finding value in this, then I can also find value in it if I let myself. Right. It goes back to being transformed uh, by the renewing of our mind. And and when when we do that, we just we leak. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word, I guess. We can we leak out the attributes of God. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why community is so important and why, you know, your uh, Clayton, why your your idea of worship changes because like you were saying, you know, you saw these attributes being poured out around you and you realize that there was something different here and there's something that is that is to be appreciated here. And that's exactly why worship is so important in our church on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And and not even just a Sunday morning, just when we wake up in the morning, you know, praising God, thanking him for another day of life, you know, that we have breath to live another day. You know, that worship should not just be in, in this building on Sunday morning, but it should be before you even get there. You know, every every aspect of your life should be worship because you are created in the image of the creator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think in order to wrap this kind of up, um, you said one line that uh, I think stuck out for me through this, this podcast is that we worship, um, what we worship we become. And I think that's that's kind of what we're really, really getting at. Mm-hmm. That we are uh, becoming something something different, and that's that that something different is is really about Jesus and mm-hmm. not us and not us. Yeah, yeah. All too easy to make it about us, even in worship. Yeah. So if we could encourage you to walk away from this with. One thing, you know, I always say that at the end of our episodes, if we can encourage you to walk away with one thing. To me, it would be to acknowledge that when we come to worship, it's truly not about you. And obviously we want to create environments that are conducive for worship for other people. But sometimes that doesn't mean environments that people enjoy. You know, it doesn't mean environments that people are happy about. Are happy about, yeah. And and we're not saying, you know, all you worship leaders go home and, you know, start making your church miserable. <laughs> but but no, what, yeah, hear hear the truth of what we're saying. Yeah, what we're what we're saying is that you need to come again in humility and understand that if someone picked this song for today, it could still offer value for your life, regardless of whether or not you like it, regardless of whether or not the style is what you appreciate. Um if if we boil worship down to a set of feelings that we get on Sunday, then we've missed a big point in it. We've, we've lost it. And, you know, again, that's just, that's, just we, that's what I want to emphasize that worship's not about your tastes and preferences. It's about his, it's about God's right. Yeah. And, and understanding the reason why you're feeling that way, I think is, is what the church is supposed to be doing. Mm is is teaching that edifying process of, you know, why is it, you know, that I feel this way when we sing a song uh, that, you know, glorifies God? Well, it's because 
that's who God always wanted you to be and that's who he wants you to become. And, and this, this is just how we, we teach the church. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't really know what else to say beyond that. Just continue to, to teach people that there is value to everything that's being done. Uh, or at least there should be value. That's good. To everything that is done on a Sunday morning so that people don't leave the church and not continue to worship throughout their week. Are there any, I mean, anything you guys want to say, Hey, thanks for this or that. I've got one. If ever there exists a world where people know us and they don't know the cultivated podcast, then I would encourage you to check it out. I've just stumbled upon it. Mike Cosper, I don't know much about the guy, but I know he's a part of the Gospel Coalition. And I know that he talks a lot about worship. And I I also know that the way he talks about worship just blows my mind. It's just incredible. I just got one of his books, Faith Mapping. Really excited to jump into that. You know, I just, I would encourage you that if you want to know more about worship and uh, specifically about kind of engaging our culture and worship at the same time, I would encourage you to check out the Cultivated Podcast. Yeah, and some someone along those lines is Andy Crouch, who is actually on the Cultivated Podcast. Um, he has a two-part episode that's phenomenal. Um, another worship guy um, that... Under, Listen to the second one. Yeah, well, Don't I mean, the, if, if you enjoy one. worship and you want to hear the story behind how he got to where he is, the first one's a really good true, lead into yeah. the second one. So, um, also some other resources, I guess I could throw out there. Um, you know, uh, Bob Kaufman has a book called uh, Worship Matters, which is phenomenal um, for any of those that are aspiring to do worship in their church. Uh, musical worship, I should say. Um, Robert E. Weber has influenced me in everything that I do. So definitely check out any of his works. If someone wanted to engage in some of this liturgy we've been talking about, what kind of resources could they reach out for? Robert E. Weber. (laughs) (laughs) Another person that we'd like to shout out to is, is Rich Kirkpatrick, who's been allowing us to use uh, their music a beautiful, from a beautiful liturgy, um, him and his daughter, Emily. Um, he has a, a, a blog, which is rkblog.com, and just a phenomenal resource for uh, it, for just anything that you would want to know in the worship realm. I mean, he, he just released an article that's about, you know, how to leave your church if you're having uh, issues in your church and you, mm-hmm. and you feel like you're, you're called to leave. Um, just, just the way you should go about doing that. And it, it was a really good read. So, um, but yeah, like I said, anything that involves, you know, worship ministry, you could go to his blog and find countless amounts of resources. And this guy's been doing worship for a long time, right? Yeah. He's actually one of the workshop speakers for the national worship leader convention. Mm-hmm. He's done that for a lot of years now. Um, and so if you ever make your way to one of those conventions, make sure that you, you pop into one of his seminars because it's, it's definitely worth it. Cool. Cool. All right. It's all you. What are we going to talk about next week? I actually have an idea for you guys. No way. Yep. Are you shocked? No. About time. (laughs) (laughs) We are planning to have uh, our buddy Travis Montgomery on. Uh, pastor, local church, guy we went to school with, just all around great guy. And he suggested that we could talk about, he said, the divisive nature of the gospel. And I thought, oh, okay. Yeah, let's, okay. So I asked him to clarify. And he said he meant how the story of the gospel calls people into decision and the power of that story that that you can't walk away exactly the same from the gospel. That it requires you to make a decision. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and he he referenced Donald Miller while we were talking about it, which just you know warmed my heart to no end. You don't do you know about Donald Miller? <laughs> Wrote Blue Like Jazz. Oh man, love that guy. Anyways, so if that's good with you guys, I say we get rolling with it. Okay. Sounds good to me. Cool. So, 
join us next week with Travis Montgomery, and we're going to talk about the gospel being a, a call to decision. Thanks, guys. I count all his loss to claim my reward to be more like you. I am yours. All that I am, I bring it to you from this moment on. I am yours. I count all his loss to claim my Blessed Redeemer, to be as you.